Today's scripture comes from the book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they only had no bread. And Jesus was aware of this and said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning, and we thank you for an opportunity to worship you, to worship you in song, to worship you in prayer, and in reading your word. And God, we ask that our worship would continue now as your word is proclaimed. Uh, give us ears to hear, God, your truth. Give us hearts that would... Um, hearts that would receive your word, Lord, and we ask that we would be changed by your word, that this would not just be information, but God, that this would cause transformation in all of us, that your word would take deep root in our hearts. And so I ask, Lord, for myself that you would help me not get in the way of what you are, are, are speaking to us this morning, and we ask that all would be done for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. We also will have the scriptures up on the screen as well. Uh, and as always, in the lobby, we'll have Bibles that you guys can always grab on your way in um, um, as well if you forget yours. Well, church, this is a special morning because some of my hospital family is here to meet some of my church family, and so thank you guys for being here uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it's cool for you to get a glimpse of kind of what's happening uh, the rest of my week and what's going on. Um, and so, church, uh, we do have some medical personnel in the building, uh, so if you have any weird rashes or moles or anything you're just not sure about, uh, today is your lucky day. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please restrain yourself, okay? Uh, if you do have any weird rashes or moles, uh, we do not want to know about it this morning. Uh, please let our, our medical superheroes uh, have one day of rest and one day where they can worship and just be a normal person. Uh, so I'm specifically, I don't want to call anybody out, but speaking to the people in the front row closest to the middle aisle, just to restrain yourself uh, from any medical questions. Okay, well today we are in the book of Mark, and we are in a series of preaching verse by verse through the book of Mark, and we're arriving here at Mark chapter 8 in verse 11. 
But before we jump in, I want to share with you a story I recently read about a young lady in Australia. Okay, now this this lady, she had grown up in a city most of her life, and she uh, moved with her husband and her kids out to the Australian outback. Not the, not the steakhouse, but the actual place in Australia, the bush, okay, out away from the big city. And this woman, she had always lived in a city, so she was used to all the modern conveniences. She was used to, if she needed food, she would go to the grocery store. If she needed clothes, she'd go to the mall. She was used to all those things that we are used to, but now she had to adjust to her life out in the outback. And one of those adjustments was instead of just walking down the street to the baker to get bread, she now had to figure out how to bake bread on her own. And so she read a recipe, she got the ingredients, she started kneading the dough, she added some yeast, and then she set the dough aside to, to give, let the yeast do its work, let it start to rise up and, and for the bread to rise. But, but as she watched it, nothing was happening. And so she checked on it a little while later and it still hadn't risen at all. And so she, she added some more dough and added a lot more yeast and was kneading it and set it aside and waited and still nothing happened. So she did not want her husband to see her failure at trying to make this bread. So she did what any reasonable person would do. She took it out to the backyard and buried it in the ground. She quickly went into the house, made something else for dinner. She thought that all was forgotten. He won't know that I kind of messed up, you know, made this attempt to bake bread and it didn't work out. She thought everything would be forgotten until the next day when it was a specifically hot day and that dough had been baking and cooking underground. The yeast finally had its time to do its work and her husband went out into the backyard and saw this ever-expanding like mushroom of dough just oozing out of the ground and into their backyard. Well, he realized what had happened and after giving her a little bit of a hard time about it, they laughed and they laughed at this memory that they had made on their first attempt to bake some bread. Church, in our, in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to give his disciples a warning, okay? He's going to give a warning. And when Jesus gives a warning, when we arrive at a text that gives a warning, in order for me to be faithful to the text, I have to give us a warning as well. And so today in our passage, we're going to see in Mark 8, verse 15, Jesus is going to say, he, he cautioned them, he said, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You see, leaven is a substance, typically yeast, that is used in dough, and it makes it rise. And just a small amount of yeast is all that is needed. And, but, but even though it starts out small, even though it seems like it's insignificant, the yeast produces these expanding gases that causes the dough around it to rise up and ooze out of the ground if it's buried in the ground in Australia. And Jesus is, by using this illustration, he's, he's warning us of the teaching of the hearts of the religious leaders of the day. He's saying, watch out for what they're teaching. Watch out what that is revealing about the state of their hearts. Jesus is warning us that their self-reliance, their self-sufficiency, and their self-righteousness, although it seems subtle, Although it seems small, it rises up in a heart to produce spiritual blindness and hearts of unbelief. Sin can initially seem so small. Sin can initially seem so insignificant. 
And remember what I mean when we talk about sin. Sin is turning away from God's desires, either with our actions, attitudes, or thoughts. Sin is turning away from God's desires with our actions, attitudes, or thoughts. And Jesus warns his disciples and us that the Pharisees and Herod, they were self-reliant. They thought they were self-sufficient, and they were trusting in their own self-righteousness. And although those things seem small, although those things seem insignificant, like they're not that big of a deal, just like yeast, when they rise up, they can produce some exponentially bad things like spiritual blindness and unbelief. The Pharisees had eyes that couldn't see and they had hearts that couldn't believe. And we see this blindness persist in the case of the Pharisees. But amongst the disciples, we start to see that the blindness is slowly but surely fading away. Jesus is giving them sight to truly see him for who he is, so much so that at the end of this chapter, Peter is going to declare that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior, the rescuer we've been waiting for. But sadly with the Pharisees, we see their blindness persist. And ultimately, even though Jesus, who is God in the flesh, their creator, even though he was right before them, they rejected him. They rejected him. John 12, verse 43, speaking of the unbelieving Jews, it says, For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Oh, church, may that not be said of us. Church, hear this warning if you hear nothing else, okay? Watch out for even some of the self-reliance, the self-sufficiency, and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees that might be rising up in your own heart right now. Okay, are you guys ready to jump into the text? All right, come on now. You know, now I, I like a little bit of interaction. So you got to give me a head nod. You got to give me a mm-hmm. You got to you know, give me a come on with it, something like that, okay? And just, we're still a new church, but we, we don't have a consistent amen, you know, person yet. So if you're feeling led, step it up this morning, okay? All right, let's go. Mark 8, uh, Mark 8, verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, here we see the Pharisees enter back onto the scene. Dum, dum, dum. Right? Is that, if you grew up in church, when the Pharisees enter onto the scene, there's almost like this bad guy villain music that plays in the background because we know, oh, hey, these are the guys that oppose Jesus. These are the guys that are always trying to get him. They're the ones that are going to plot to eventually have him killed. And so we read when the Pharisees enter on, we just like, oh, yeah, these are the bad guys. But listen, back in that time, back in that context, that's not how other people viewed the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. I mean, these were the people that followed God's law to the T, and even then some, because they added their own laws to God's law. These were who people thought of as the good and the moral and the religious people of the day. 
But they come to see Jesus not with hearts that are honestly seeking truth. They come to him to try to discredit him, try to argue with him. They demand a sign from him. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, he knows that at this point, if they have seen all these signs and wonders that he's already done and they still don't believe, he knows that no other sign is going to change their hearts. And he sighs deeply. It means he groans inwardly. He gets into the boat with his disciples and says, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. The leaven of the Pharisees, these hard hearts that were full of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness. Now, I'm going to give us three warnings that will help us practically beware of what Jesus wants us to watch out for, okay? These three warnings are going to help us practically understand the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. The first of the three warnings is this. Beware of relying on your own power to discern truth. Beware of relying on your own power to discern truth. You see, the Pharisees, they had Jesus right in front of them, God in the flesh, right there, and they could not discern if he was good. They could not recognize true goodness. They couldn't recognize true light, the light of the world right before them. They could not see the truth. They had already seen Jesus teaching and performing miracles. They'd seen him cast out demons. They'd seen him cleanse people from leprosy. They'd seen and heard him, uh, how he restored hearing to people, and he made the mute speak, and he told the paralytic to get up and walk, and he walked. They've heard about him calming the storm and walking on water. They've seen him feed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish, and just in case they didn't believe it, he did it again, then with seven loaves. They've seen all this. They've seen the image of the invisible God right before them, but they were blind to his goodness. They couldn't see it. They were blind to it. They saw him even heal a man on the Sabbath, and they couldn't discern if this was a good thing or not. Church, do not be too proud to think that apart from Jesus opening our eyes to the truth, that we would have acted any differently than the Pharisees in the presence of Jesus. Beware of relying on your own power to discern truth. Hannah Anderson, in her book, All That's Good, says this. She gives us a definition of discernment, which I think is, is really helpful. She says, discernment is simply developing a taste for what is good. It's developing an instinct for quality, a refined sensibility, an eye for value, to know the difference between what's good and what's not in order to partake of the good. Discernment is developing a taste for what is good. Back a few years ago, a man was cleaning out his garage. Uh, he was with his wife. They were preparing for a garage sale. And he came across a, an old ragged copy of the Declaration of Independence. Now, this was something he'd had for years. It just got passed down to the family. But it was all old and, and ragged and messed up. Now, just to clarify, his name was not Nicolas Cage, and there was no treasure map on the back of it that we know of, okay? Um, but he, he'd had this copy, and he just assumed it was worthless, and so he sold it at the garage sale for $2.48. 
Now you probably see where this is going. A man who did have an eye for value, solid at the garage sale. He could tell what was worthless and what was of value. He bought it for $2.48 and he went to then auction it off for half a million dollars. Not a bad day of garage sailing for that man. But you see, because of our sin, because of our sin, because we have turned away from God's desires, we have lost a taste for what is good. We've lost the taste for what is good. We have loved darkness instead of light. And we've had trouble identifying just what is truly valuable and and things that are of worth in this life. And now more than ever, ever, church, we need discernment. We need discernment. Listen, we live in a time where we are surrounded by information. It is all around us. In 2019, we do not have a problem from lacking, not having enough information. We have enough of it. We just have trouble discerning it. We just have trouble processing it. We have trouble knowing what is true and what is untrue, what is fake news and what is real news, right? What is best and what is better. And so we are constantly bombarded with more and more news, more and more teaching, more worldviews, more beliefs. And whether you realize it, that this is happening or not, just as you're scrolling through your phone, you're just being bombarded with more and more information and more and more ideas. And what you're having to do, even subconsciously, is you're having to process this and you're having to discern what is of value and what is not. What is good and what is bad? What is of God and what is not of him? And the reason this warning that Jesus gives is so important and applicable for us today is because there are many philosophies and teachings that are false, that are creeping into the church and amongst Christians. Now listen, there are many things that we can learn from non-Christians. There is much wisdom and insight to gain from non-Christians, so I'm not suggesting that we shelter ourselves from the world or cut ourselves off from, from other teachings or philosophies. But what I am saying is that we must take all this information that we are being bombarded with and we must discern what is good and what is of value. But listen, church, Jesus never intended for us to rely on our own power to discern truth. No, he has given us what we need. Okay, now discernment, it is a spiritual gift for some, but it is a spiritual discipline for most, okay? Meaning that there are some of you who have been gifted by the Spirit to be able to discern very easily what is of God and what is not. It comes naturally to you. It just flows out of you. It's not something that you have to work at. You can naturally see through the superficial to the deeper heart behind a teaching or philosophy and discern if this is of worth or it's not. Listen, if you are gifted in this way, the church desperately needs you. So don't neglect this gift, but, but, but use it and, and help one another discern what is good and what is true. But it's not as if only discernment is for those that are spiritually gifted this way. No, we are all to discern what is true. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, most false prophets, most false teachers, a lot of what they say is good, and it sounds nice, and it looks positive. It's encouraging. It could probably be on Christian radio. It could probably be on a mug in a Christian bookstore. But in the end, it is of no value. It's like the leaven of the Pharisees that rises up into a spiritual blindness and a heart of unbelief. 
But church, God has not left us on our own to discern truth. He says, no, don't rely on your power, but ask me and I will give it to you. James 1 verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, if you lack discernment, ask God and he will give it. Now, there are a lot of things we ask God that the Bible never promises that he will give, but wisdom is one of them. So ask him. Ask God for wisdom and discernment. And not only that, God gives us his word to help discern truth. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the word of God not only helps us discern others' thoughts and intentions, but also our own. We should take every teaching, whether we hear it from another church or pastor or from social media or from friends or family, we should look to Scripture and discern if this is consistent with the Word of God, what we know to be true. Now, not only does God give us His Word, but He gives us the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, inside all believers, transforming us and giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. And not only that, but then God gives us one another. He gives us one another. And church, we need one another. There we go. We're ready for the amens. That's good. That's good. We need one another. False teachers and people that would lead you astray would tell you that you don't need anyone else. They would tell you that you'll be fine on your own. You don't need God's word. You don't need God's spirit. You don't need God's people. It's the same thing that a hungry lion would tell a gazelle to get him away from the pack. We are the body of Christ. We are interdependent upon one another, and we need to discern truth by reading the word with the indwelling of the Spirit, but we need to do it in the context of a community of believers. God has not left us on our own. We are not left on our own to rely on our own power to discern truth. He has given us himself, his word, and his people. A.W. Tozer was a pastor and author in the early 1900s. He wrote an article about how to discern truth. And in that article, he gave questions to ask yourself when you come across a new teaching or a new philosophy or an idea. And these questions are intended to help you discern if this teaching is of value. If this teaching is of God, and I'm going to quickly go through these. I'll send them out in an email to you all so that you would have them with you. The first question he encourages you to ask yourself is, how does this teaching affect my relationship with God? Is he magnified and glorified or diminished? The second question is, how does this teaching affect my attitude toward Jesus? Does it magnify him and give him first place? Or does it subtly shift my focus onto myself or some experience? Number three, how does this teaching affect my attitude towards Scripture? Did the teaching come from and or agree with the Word? Does it increase my love for the Word? Number four, how does this teaching affect my self-life? Does it feed self or crucify it? Does it feed pride or humility? Number five, how does this teaching affect my relationships to other Christians? 
Does it cause me to withdraw, find fault, and exalt myself in superiority? Or does it lead me to genuine love for all that truly know Christ? Number six, how does this teaching affect my relationship to the world system? Does it lead me to pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life? Does it lead me to pursue worldly riches, reputation, and pleasures? Or does it crucify the world to me? Number seven, how does this teaching affect my attitude towards sin? Does it cause me to tolerate sin in my life or to turn from it and grow in holiness? Any teaching that makes holiness more acceptable and sin more intolerable is genuine. Now, I know we went through those quickly. I will send that out to you, but that is just, that is some good wisdom by our guy A.W. Tozer. Written way before social media, written before outside of the context of the world that we live in right now, but I would encourage you to take some of that wisdom with you when you engage with new teaching or new philosophies or anything that you would come across. But church, beware of relying on your own power to discern truth, but instead rely on God's power to help you discern. Rely on his word, rely on his spirit, rely on his people. Let his word and his spirit rise up in you to give you eyes that can see and give you a heart to believe. Self-reliance only rises up to spiritual blindness and unbelief. The second warning that we need to hear is this. Beware of relying on your own power for your provisions. Look back at Mark 8, verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Now, for those of you that were not here last week, uh, we saw Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And just two chapters ago in Mark chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people. That's Banker's Life Stadium packed out. We saw him feed that amount with five loaves of bread and two fish. The disciples are now in the boat with Jesus, and they are concerned and worried that they don't have enough bread. <laughs> I mean, it's a little humorous, right? They have forgotten to bring bread. They only have one loaf with them. They've see, just seen him feed thousands with just a few loaves, and they are discussing amongst themselves that they have no bread. And Jesus says to them, Do you not remember? Don't you remember my past faithfulness? Don't you remember my power? Don't you remember my goodness? And don't you remember how I have always faithfully provided for you? And while the disciples are concerned that they don't have bread, Jesus is much more concerned that they don't have faith. They start doing in the boat what you and I do a lot of days. We start relying on our own power for our provisions. 
And while that seems like a small thing, while that seems like an insignificant thing, it's like yeast in the dough. And when that self-sufficiency rises up, it results in a spiritual blindness and a heart of unbelief. And when we become even partially blinded to the truth, we start to falsely then view the things we have as our possessions. Listen, the things that we have, these are not our possessions. These are his provisions. And the one who was faithful to us yesterday will continue to be faithful to us today and tomorrow and always. We think we rely, we think we must rely on our own power to provide. But Philippians 4.19 says that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And listen, church, there in that boat with the disciples and Jesus, there in that boat was all that they needed. Because of their partial spiritual blindness, all they could see was that they had one loaf of, of bread in the boat with them. But later, later, they would come to realize that they had so much more in that boat with them than just one loaf of bread. They would come to later see that they actually had the bread of life with them. They had Jesus. They had all they needed. John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. O oh, church, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give us all things? We must not rely on our own power for our provisions, but we must trust our good God who is our provider and sustainer who has given us himself that we might never hunger and thirst. Relying on our own power for provisions will rise up into a spiritual blindness and a heart of unbelief, but trusting God for our daily bread leads to eyes that can see and leads to a heart that can believe, a faith that is strengthened. Well, the first warning I gave us was beware of relying on your own power to discern truth. The second warning was beware of relying on your own power for your provisions. And the final warning I will give you is this. Beware of relying on your own power to obtain a right standing with God. In Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, Paul is writing about some of the Jewish people, including the Pharisees, who failed to obtain a right standing with God because of wanting to obtain it by their own power and by their own strength. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer for God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You see, the Pharisees did not submit to God's righteousness, but they desired to establish their own. They wanted to work for their right standing with God. 
They wanted to keep all their own rules and regulations so that people would see them and think highly of them. But listen, a desire to work for a right standing with God is not just unique to the Pharisees, but it is all of humanity. We can all tend to be this way. Just look at all other religions and belief systems in the world, and they almost all have the same system where you must work for your salvation. You must work for your right standing with God. You must earn it. You must obtain it by your own power. The idea of grace, God's undeserved favor, separates Christianity from all other belief systems. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, that it is not by works, but it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Church, we are not saved by good works. We are saved for good works. But even Christians who have believed that and maybe put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, maybe many years ago, we need to hear that gospel preached to us every day because our default mode is to go back into Pharisee mode. Our default mode is to want to earn it, to want to deserve it, to want to work for it. We believed, yeah, back then that we were saved by grace, but now it's my own power and strength to follow after Jesus. But, oh, church, may we remind one another that the gospel is not just the doorway by which we enter the Christian life, but it is the path that we walk every day. And this is the gospel, this is the good news, that God saves sinners. Not that sinners save themselves and not that God saves good people, but that God saves sinners. And this salvation was accomplished by Jesus Christ, who being fully God and fully man came to earth to rescue us from the penalty of sin and to free us from the power of sin. He lived the perfect life of obedience that we failed to live, and he died a sacrificial death on a cross in our place, paying the penalty for sin and releasing us from the power of sin. And not only did he take our sin, but then he gives us his righteousness, his rightness with God, so that we can be reconciled with God. And three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death. And he's now ruling, redeeming, and restoring all things. And he's calling a people to himself. And if you hear his call, do not reject it. Do not ignore it. Do not put it off for tomorrow. But respond to this good news by turning from your sin and trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. If you became a Christian 40 years ago, or if you are becoming one today, what you need to do today is turn from your relying on your own power to obtain a right standing with God, and you need to turn and trust Christ alone for your salvation. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. The church, beware of relying on your own power to discern truth. Beware of relying on your own power for your provisions. And beware of relying on your own power to obtain a right standing with God. 
As I conclude this morning, my question to you is, is what is rising up in you? What, what are the seemingly insignificant or subtle things that are going on in your heart right now? Is it a heart of self-reliance? Is it a desire to rely on your own power to discern and recognize truth? Is it a reliance on your own power to provide what you need? Is it a reliance on your own power to obtain a right standing with God? And church, hear this warning. Although there might be some things that are just under the surface currently, just like that bread in the Australian outback, they will rise And when they rise out of our hearts, when fully formed, they will ooze out a spiritual blindness and a heart of unbelief. But although it seems that sometimes sin is the only thing we see rising up around us, I've got good news. The good news is we have a Savior that is in the rising up business as well. And because he rose, the kingdom of God is also rising up all around us and in us. And what is oozing out of the hearts of his people is not unbelief, but it is faith. It's not blindness, but it's sight. And brothers and sisters, this is why we get so excited about this new work that God has called us to here in Franklin is because we believe that not just through our church, but through many other churches, that as the gospel is proclaimed, as the glory of God is put on display, that more and more people's eyes in our city will be opened to the truth and their hearts will be softened to believe, and more and more people will acquire a taste for what is good, and more and more people will be satisfied by the bread of life, and more and more people will be freed from the slavery of sin. They'll be freed from their addictions. They'll be freed from their moralism and self-righteousness, and more and more people will rest in the righteousness of Christ. But listen, Christ-centered revival in a city It always starts in the hearts of his people first. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of relying on your own power to discern truth, to provide, and to obtain a right standing with God. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What is rising up in you right now? Is it the leaven of the Pharisees? Or is it Jesus Christ in you? Trust and rely on Jesus to guide you into truth. Trust and rely on Jesus to provide and sustain you. Trust and rely on Jesus that he will clothe you with his righteousness. Let's pray.